seated and take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, and verse 1. We are going to begin this study tonight, and it's, it's going to take us through the summer and then some, most likely. Uh, this book has been on my heart for about a month now, and just trying to figure out what I want to do with it. I don't want to change it, amen, that's for sure. Uh, but, but what I mean is chapter 3 has been on my... I can't stop thinking about chapter 3, and so I thought I would, I would uh, teach a series and see how long we can teach a series on chapter 3. But, but as I thought about that and looked at chapter 3, I started thinking about other parts of the book, and no kidding, I'm not just saying something just to say it. This entire book is so very valuable. Uh, I thought, hey, it's, it's time we go through this in, entire book. And, and so that's what we're going to do uh, tonight. You know, the questions, the questions that this world has from the human viewpoint about life, about this world, about, about God, we see those questions asked here in, in that way in this book. When we, and when we journey through the rest of the Bible, we find all the answers. We find sufficient answers to all the questions that there are. The beginning of this book, as we get into it, let me just say that it's filled with gloom and doom. There's a lot of negativity that we find in the, in the first half of it. We're going to cover many sorrows and many disappointments of Solomon's life. By the way, Solomon is the human author of this book. Some have gone through great efforts to try to make it out to be that it's someone else. But what we find in the first verse by way of two details, can make that none other but Solomon. We find the son of David, king in Jerusalem. David had other sons, but none of them reached the royalty of being king of Jerusalem except for Solomon. So it's, it's a simple thing, and I don't know what people are looking for or think they see, but, but Solomon is the author of this book. Anyway, we're going to go through some, some difficulties of Solomon. We're going to hear about them through the first half of this book. But then the sun's going to come out, if you will. And we're going to take the difficulties that, that we read about, and it's going to become very delightful. We're going to make some delightful discoveries as we share this whole experience. Though I would call the beginning of this book gloom and doom, once we get through it all, we're going to find that it's a, a beautiful portion of Scripture that this book has, and it is very helpful for all of our lives. We're going to get into some positivity, though, in the second half of the book. You know, Solomon learned from his disappointments. He learned from the dissatisfaction that he found. And he proclaims everyone's personal need of God 
in their lives. There must be that connection. Only God in the life will bring satisfaction. That makes me think that anyone and everyone should take an interest in this book because that's what everyone is looking for. Everyone is looking to be satisfied. Now, people are looking in all the wrong places, but we find where satisfaction lies here. And it's in a relationship with God. By his full experience, he declares that only God in the life satisfies. Status doesn't satisfy. People are really, really accumulating the likes or whatever you want to call on Facebook or maybe that's Instagram. I don't know if you only get likes in one place. but Or friends. Man, they, they think that's status when there's a big number there. Solomon, Solomon had status, and it didn't satisfy. Of course, sin. He took his venture into sin. I'll just name three. Wine, women, and wealth, as you've heard before in a study like this. And sin did not satisfy. Neither did stuff. Solomon had a lot of stuff. He could have had... He, he had a lot of stuff with, with the wealth that he had, but it just did not satisfy him. He left no earthly stone unturned, if you will, in an experiment, a project he went out into this world with, apart from God, to try to find satisfaction. And he found absolutely none. So Solomon has become well equipped to lecture against the wisdom of this world. He took his wisdom and he used it in the world. He, he, he maxed out an experiment and he could not leave satisfied. He, he can preach against the wisdom of this world, its pleasures, self-righteous works. The love of money is the root of all evil. Solomon, after his experience, he could sure preach on that. And how any and all wealth, it, it will not satisfy the heart. And he throws all of these things that he tried and experienced into one bag, and he put a tie wrap on it, if you will, and he gave it one name, and he labeled it vanity. We're going to come across that word vanity, maybe in a few different forms with suffixes, but we're going to find the word vanity a lot. We're actually going to find it 37 times in 12 chapters. That is more than three times per chapter on the average. There are 222 verses, if I counted right, in this book of Ecclesiastes. And so on the average, that word vanity would come up every six verses. This word vanity, we, we ought to go ahead and define it if we're going to talk about it some. And the word vanity, it means empty. It means without permanent value. And an understanding tied to it is that it leads to frustration. For Solomon's attempt 
to be satisfied by anything and everything or anyone and everyone in this entire world on a venture that he went on, he ends it with a result of that word vanity. And so let's not only think of the attempt that Solomon made. Consider the resources that Solomon had as he ventured in this world to try to be satisfied by it. He was the richest man on earth. He could possess anything upon this earth at the time. He had power. He had persuading authority. Solomon had all of the connections. He could get whatever he wanted by way of, you know, the things of this world. All the worldly wisdom and talent, he he had it. So in the most thorough experiment possible, he found nothing by way of this world in separation from God that could fulfill his life. So in later chapters of this book, Solomon will go on to tell us that God's wisdom, spiritual riches, heavenly blessed talents, that beats hands down the very best of anything any of us could ever do or ever pursue in the flesh apart from God. A little something else as we introduce this book that that we're going to come across, we're going to see, maybe some of you will have questions as we read different things, but there are going to be verses and phrases, there are going to be some proverbs, if you will, uh, throughout this book, and it will sound as though some of these things will contradict other parts of the Bible. As a matter of fact, many so-called atheists, they love to quote from the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, I say so-called atheists because I just think about God telling anyone who stands before Him, when you see nature, you have no excuse. I think, I think, it's, I think it's a sin reason. I don't, I don't think it's their intellect reason that, you know, there's deception going on, but, but I just can't, I got to call them so-called atheists. I, I can't just title them that way. But anyway, they love to quote from this book because of what appears to be said. With the, the natural way of thinking, the Bible will appear to say some things that it doesn't say. From a natural way of thinking, there will appear to be some contradictions when there's not. As a matter of fact, an unsaved man wrote a book, The Thousand Contradictions of the Bible. A preacher came and countered that book with 994 so-called contradictions explained. And the other six, well... He left those to God. God is God and we, who, we are who we are. And His ways and His thoughts are far above ours. And, and so, 
the natural mind will read and think they draw conclusions of contradictions, but they're drawing conclusions without spiritual understanding. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. It takes the Holy Spirit living in someone to understand the Bible. It takes trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to have the Holy Spirit to live within the person to be able to understand the Bible. Well, throughout this study, again, on these things, we must always keep in mind that God chose to include in this unique book the view from man's perspective on life. Not, not his own. This book begins with a man trying to find satisfaction without God. The first part of this book is the viewpoint that we're going to see, and it's going to be of the natural life under the sun, S-U-N. We learn of the lessons and all that lacks down that avenue that we might choose God and go with God and have spiritual life under the S-O-N sun. We have a, a testimony here of a man who has maxed out his worldly experiences and he lost. And he says in the end that the only way to win is with God, is with personally knowing God and walking with God. This experiment that Solomon went out in the world to venture into, millions are still doing it today. I've heard from this pulpit many times, uh, history has proven we don't learn anything from history. There are so many who are doing what Solomon did. May there be those who learn from this recorded experience, this biblical account from history, that there will be no satisfaction that is gained by the world. May the children of God continually be refreshed on the truth that we share here during our times of temptation. Because we go through different seasons as children of God, we may seem to be lacking something. It just may seem that throughout a portion of our lives, we are just lacking something as children of God. And, 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 and that doubt and that thought will just stir up a possible temptation to, to just go to the world. Or, or maybe it's not lacking something. Maybe it's being lonely for someone. There's such a temptation to leave the precepts and the plan of God when one is lonely for someone else. Or, or it might be a season of being listless in our suffering. And that's a temptation that one might walk out of the things of God and go to the world. Well, in times of weakness, 
look, a dead-end road might look like a shortcut. But we have help here, and we have the constant reminders to keep going with God. Only He can satisfy. We're not going to find satisfaction anywhere else. Once we're on the path with God, once we're walking with God and where we should be, a true statement is the grass is never going to be greener on the other side of the fence. Go with God and walk with God. So let's go ahead and jump into this experience of vanity in chapter 1 as we see the instructor in verse 1. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Understand that, let's understand that this book says exactly what God wants it to say. It's God's word. And he chose to use man's experiences and Solomon's project and his journey of life to teach and to tell us. But it's God's word through Solomon, son of David, king of Jerusalem. God has appointed man's viewpoint, so that we will stay away from that viewpoint and that we will cling closely to God's viewpoint. That man's viewpoint might be changed to God's viewpoint. We get an education on on what we really don't want to experience, on what we don't need to experience by what we see of Solomon's testimony. You know, We've all heard the saying, it's wise when we learn from our mistakes. It's wiser if we learn from the mistakes of others. And so God loves us and He knows what this old flesh will do out in the world and what kind of way of thinking anyone can adopt. So He gives us the example from Solomon's life. He is educating us on a failing experience so that we won't fail. He's giving us this by, it says, the words of the preacher. That exact word you will not find in any other book of the Old Testament. But you find it here and it means to call. As in, a congregation of people. There was a gathering made for the words that God had Solomon to give as the instructor. So there's the instructor, but let's look at the instruction in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Well, so much for a (laughs) build-up. So, so much for a smooth introduction or a thorough introduction into what he was talking about. I thought about an introduction to this study many different ways, but, but look how Solomon did it. He got right to the point about what the world has to offer a person in separation from God. It's... It's as if you can hear here that Solomon just can't wait to reveal the results of searching for satisfaction without the Lord. And and he uses this word we said we're going to run into, vanity. Vanity. 
What comes bursting forth from him immediately in the beginning of this, of this word is, is, a, is a word that means emptiness, no lasting value, worthlessness. You might think of a vapor. You might think of cotton candy. When you think of this word vanity, there's 12 words in the second verse and five of them are vanity, nothingness, emptiness. That's what he can't wait to reveal that he has found anything in this world without God. It is soon going to pass away. It is not going to give us any satisfaction and that's what he burst forth in to tell you and I, He had everything the world had to offer. The gold that Solomon had, it was worth an unreal amount in that day. It was worth so much, it would be a whole lot of of wealth today for someone. And his instruction is that what he did with it along with all the power he had, along with his authority and his persuasion, he went out with with a very detailed plan. And he dug very deep. And he went long and hard in this world with all that he had. And he comes back and returns with nothing. And says it's nothing without God. He's describing this very expensive, very well thought out pursuit as a puff of wind. That's what he comes back to say after he's gone all throughout the world. And you think he's certain about his results? I mean, he gets started, and I tell you what, this is a confident preacher. He says, vanity, 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 vanity. He's clear on what he experienced. He doubles and triples his conviction with this word vanity. That's not to say anything about God's creation in this world. That's not, that's not Solomon saying God's creation of this world and the things He's created in it are vain. But seeking self-pleasure apart from God, this is vanity. And he says it's of zero value. It's of zero benefit. And it doesn't appear that way. It doesn't appeal that way to the flesh. So we need spiritual understanding. We need to go here. We need to walk in this and and see what God's using Solomon to say to us. And so we've looked at the instructor. We've considered the instruction. But now let's look at the inquiry in verse 3. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? The Bible teaches us that labor is profitable. I mean, if we don't work, we can't eat. There's a providing for ourselves that God has planned that would happen by way of work. This verse sounds like it contradicts that truth that we find uh, throughout God's Word. So we're already in need of reminding ourselves that what God has done is given us a word from man's viewpoint to teach us. 
And so the result of labor, you know, it's good. It's, it's the meeting of needs. But there is no true satisfaction in it if it's only for the pleasing of self. You know, we will not speak to anyone if, if so be the case, it's their last days of life and they, they talk about the most important things throughout their life. We're not going to hear anything reasonable about somebody being fulfilled and satisfied by the job that they worked for 45 years. That, that is not going to come first. It's not, there's not going to be satisfaction that's going to be considered for the work they did for a company. A job doesn't satisfy. Jesus does. Jesus satisfies. So what a great question for us to consider from the right point of view and to look at it from the point of view that Solomon is saying. But we go from the inquiry to an insignificance in verses 4 through 7. It says, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also riseth, and the sun also goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about to the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full, unto the place from whence the rivers come. Thither they return again." Solomon's in a, in a pretty low place. Low place where he hasn't been satisfied as he's writing here. He would get along real good with this Sioux Indian religious leader named Black Elk. Black Elk said, everything an Indian does is in a circle. Even the seasons form a great circle in their changing and always come back again to where they were. The life of a man is a circle from childhood to childhood. You know, at, at the, there, there are bits of truthful things in that, but overall what's being said in the attitude that it's being said in is, is wrong. But at this time in Solomon's life and the things he's writing, he would agree with old Black Elk and would have gotten along with him. In Solomon's doom and gloom stage that he's in, that he's going to be in for a while, his attitude is, we live and we die, so what does the rest matter? You have a birth date, you have a, a, a departure date from this life, what's the use in the dash what does the dash matter? That is where, that's not right, but that is where Solomon is concerning his experience. Though he loved nature in this lowly depressed state that he's in, he sees, he, he considers the sun, the wind, the rivers, and the sea as unproductive and, and meaningless and, and repetitious. And, and in his experience of a world of pleasure, He's gone out and had this experience of a world of pleasure. And in that, he has a question, is life worth living? Because of his experience apart from God. Let's look at what's inescapable in verses 8 through 11 though. 
He goes on to say, All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. So Solomon had this condition where he's unable to see you know, value in this world that's spinning round and round. There's a cycle in this world. He sees that everything is moving, but it's as if it's getting nowhere. And that is what life amounted to in his eyes. What he says there in in verse 8, all things are full of labor. He does express this, that, that life is hard. He mentions that, that, that life is hard, but he, but he really just can't say anything else. He has no words for it. He couldn't give rhyme or reason or an explanation for it. Life was an inescapable circular cycle with no satisfaction. The eyes weren't satisfied. You know, I, I think about an old black and white TV. We ever... Ever since, I don't have stories like, like some people have. I, I've always known a color TV, but only one in the living room. In the, in the bedrooms were black and white TVs. And I remember the quality of that picture. And I walk into stores today, and, and, I, and I feel like I could speak to the person on the TV screen. They're so big. They're so clear. These TVs are... $3,000 now, and, and the quality of the difference is amazing. By the way, if you'll stay about two years behind the technology and TVs and all that, that'll be great, because that $3,000 TV is going to be 1000 in two years. I, I never get the first latest, greatest thing coming out, because that price is going to be inflated. Just, just wait, and it's coming down. And, and here's what I have to say about that, because the eye's not satisfied. It's got to be something more. It has to be something different. There are more advancements and inventions, but there's still a question mark at the end. There's no words for for life, and, and there's no satisfaction with seeing. No matter what is said, seen, or heard, Solomon was baffled. He couldn't reveal the mystery of this satisfaction. He couldn't find it. And if he hasn't deflated low enough for us here, it's, it's, it's going to get a little bit worse. It's because as we think about the remembrance of things that are going to be gone, the, the eyes never satisfied with anything, and things are going to be gone. Everything is going to pass away. Then he goes to talking about people and the remembrance of people. We, we think we're going to be remembered a long time. We're not going to be remembered as long as we might think. 
Everything will be forgotten. Everyone will be forgotten. So let's, let's quickly go through verses 12 through 18 as we just reiterate this, this investigation that he's on. Verse 12, I the preacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, here he goes, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. I call this an investigation because in verse 13 where he says, I gave my heart to seek, that, that word means to investigate. This wasn't a half-hearted experiment of Solomon. It, he tried hard to make a fulfillment happen in his life by way of this world. He dug deep and he ended up with nothing. And he, and he couldn't do anything about it. That's why verse, where is it? Verse 15, it says, That which is crooked cannot be made straight. In other words, I could get nothing out of what I tried to do in the world without God, and there was no way I could change it. There was nothing I could do about it. The more wise he became in the world, the less he could figure out. To put it in mathematical terms, summing up what he did, zero plus zero equals zero. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. I'm so burdened, and Christians are so burdened when that's the direction that someone takes, as Solomon once did of the same thing. Solomon is showing us that the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. What, what a great prevention this is for us. A prevention for us from a painful, vain search in this world. We have seasons of weakness. We have seasons of difficulty. But let us remember that what is offered by this world does not satisfy. Only the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Him, and walking with Him, that is all that is going to satisfy. Satisfaction can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I look so very forward to getting into chapter 2 and getting started and appreciate your kind attention tonight and, and look forward to these Wednesday nights in the summer as we share this word. And, and I'm going to ask David Scott if he'll close our Bible study in a word of prayer. God bless you all and have a great rest of your week.